0: Biochemistry almost always putters along in silence, not bothering you in the slightest while it rips food apart or heartlessly kills a pathogen that ninja-like sneaked in with the last piece of leftover meatloaf. But if some scoundrel bent on world domination gets inside, then your immune system rolls out the cannon, and you feel what is going on. Nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, cough, shortness of breath, and difficulty breathing, fever and chills, often with shaking muscle pain, skin rash, sore throat, and loss of appetite or smell. Any group of these symptoms might signal a COVID-19 infection. Hi, I'm Mark Timmons, the Healthy Geezer. I have a master's degree in clinical nutrition, and I've been studying the nutrition and biochemistry behind health and disease for over 49 years. If you want to know how to build better health and protect yourself against disease, then this is the place for you. Welcome to the Healthy Geezer podcast. This is Episode 4, Protect Yourself Against COVID-19, Part 2. A viral infection, especially a new one never before encountered by you or anyone else, sets off an immediate immune system response and steps up metabolism. So many cells are working overtime to kill and rid the body of the virus that metabolism accelerates and body heat increases. That is what a fever is, metabolism running at a high speed. Here's how it works in fairly simple terms. The COVID-19 virus gets into the body through the mucosal linings of the nose, lungs, or tear ducts. It begins to penetrate cells, confiscating the cell's DNA and using its RNA to instruct your cell to make more viruses. The viral count, or load, rises. Your immune system notices foreign proteins on the surfaces of the viruses and reacts. What? Who are these guys? sending out messengers to turn on antibody production while calling forth large phagocytic cells to hunt down the viral particles. The battle has been joined. You face an invading legion of zombie monsters. Viruses aren't alive. They are parasitic fragments of RNA whose main purpose is to control the life cycle of your living cells, even telling them when to die. To save yourself, your immune system valiantly mobilizes a defensive army of antibodies specific to the virus that can attach to the foreign proteins on the virus's shell. Once attached, they can interfere with the ability of the virus to penetrate your cells. The attached antibodies also identify the zombie so someone else can kill it later. Who does that? natural killer cells, T and B lymphocytes, and phagocytes, those big white blood cells with a variety of names based on their location and origin. They may be called neutrophils, eosinophils, monocytes, macrophages, mast cells, or dendritic cells, but they are enlisted in the war for a primary purpose, to kill the viruses and clean up your own mortally wounded cells. Phagocytes generate reactive oxygen species and other chemicals, as weapons to smash viruses to pieces and liquidate damaged cells. Wait, reactive oxygen species? What are those? Well, they are not visiting aliens with a chip on their shoulders. Reactive oxygen species are instead, as the name implies, derivatives of oxygen. You know oxygen. It's a good friend. (sighs) Inhale... Oxygen is essential to life. It is necessary to metabolism, energy production, and physical vitality. We use it everywhere, but oxygen is a two-edged sword. As we use it up, weird negatively charged molecules called reactive oxygen species are thrown off as the detritus of the chemical reactions that give us life. You may have heard of them as free radicals. Reactive oxygen species, or free radicals, can be toxic to cells, especially when there are too many of them. They can damage all larger molecules, including fats, proteins, and cellular DNA, in a process called oxidation. That means reactive oxygen species have at least two other names, free radicals and oxidants. Worries of DNA aside, interior and exterior cell membranes are a primary focal point of free radical assault. The oxidation and fusing of fats and proteins in cell membranes at the hands of free radicals can suffocate a cell on retained metabolic waste or starve it by blocking nutrient entry. DNA damage can mutate or kill the cell. Where do these radicals come from, you ask? You make them. Free radicals are always being pumped out as long as you are ambulatory and above room temperature. In addition, there are sources of reactive oxygen species outside the body. These exogenous sources, as they're called, are environmental pollutants, perhaps inhaled, think car exhaust, or drunk in water, think lead in Flint, Michigan, or eaten in grilled steak, think polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. They can arrive in drugs and food additives. Just standing next to a granite building exposes your body to extra radiation emitted from the stone. Cell tower and computer radiation coming from the outside can stimulate free radical formation inside your body. Think especially hard about 5G cell tower emissions. All these oxidant sources are relevant to lipid oxidation, cell damage, cell death, disease causation, and aging. Additional oxidative free radicals are produced by your protective phagocytes. A phagocyte employs its own free radicals and other chemicals, ozone for instance, to kill the invader it has just engulfed. Those same phagocytes swoop in to grab broken or dead cells at the site of an injury to clear the way for tissue repair. The only problem is that they often leak, sending their self-produced oxidants out into surrounding healthy tissue. The action of immune cells, free radicals, and phagocytes define the word inflammation. If you had no immune system, you would have no inflammation. War, even on the microscopic, molecular level, is messy. This includes the impact of cytokines. These are chemical messengers sent by immune cells to carry instructions to other cells in the army of defense that is your immune system. Cytokines are a large group of messenger proteins, peptides, and sugar-infused glycoproteins that, if you magnified them to human size, might appear as bicycle couriers racing along the streets of Manhattan carrying important messages between executive office buildings. They continue to zip around as the war continues. Many of the key messengers turn on phagocytic cells or prod them to more vigorous action. If the virus is not easily vanquished, the flood of cytokines may turn into a perpetual storm in an attempt to win. If it continues beyond the eradication of the virus— Self-destructive inflammation continues. Immune cells begin to attack and feast on healthy tissue. This describes the cytokine storm that has been linked to organ failure and death in some severe cases of COVID-19 infection. Given the everyday production of free radicals and the times you were ill in childhood when similar immune reactions occurred, you might wonder how you survived past puberty. Let's call it the wisdom of biochemistry. No internal chemical reaction stands on its own without a counterbalancing reaction. In this case, we have always made oxidizing free radicals as a consequence of living off oxygen and have let inflammation have its way temporarily while we battled the flu or a bad cold or recovered from an operation. We have always eaten oxidants in our food and sometimes sucked them in with every breath. But that's usually okay because the body makes and eats antioxidants. Antioxidants we make inside us reverse or block adverse oxidative events, thereby protecting and healing cells. Cells themselves maintain the highest levels of a primary antioxidant called glutathione, and quickly generate their own antioxidant enzymes when exposed to oxidative stress. The enzymes are superoxide dismutase, catalase, glutathione reductase, and glutathione peroxidase. Good micronutrition is required in the form of certain amino acids and minerals to maintain the cell's enzymatic response to free radicals. They need zinc, copper, manganese, selenium, and iron to become active. When nutrition adequately supports health, the group of enzymes can instantly wrestle dangerous oxygen species down to harmless water and carbon dioxide. But many micronutrients in the diet can also disarm reactive oxygen species. They include vitamin C, vitamin E, phycocyanin from spirulina, and the carotenoids beta-carotene, alpha-carotene, lycopene, astaxanthin, lutein, and others. There are also hundreds of polyphenols, many of which are the bright pigments of colorful fruits. They are also buried in the leaves, bark, and roots of many plants, including trees. They are tremendous antioxidant phytochemicals that prevent or neutralize reactive oxygen species and the damaging effects of those free radicals. Uh, phyto, by the way, simply means plant and is derived from ancient Greek, so a phytochemical is a chemical found in plants. You may have heard of them referred to as bioflavonoids, flavones, flavanols, anthocyanidins, proanthocyanidins, tannins, condensed tannins, phenolic acids, still beans, and lignins. They are all polyphenols whose names allude to various molecular structures. They became a regular part of the human diet during millions of years, consuming antioxidant-rich leaves, fruits, and roots. I'm not sure how much bark we ever ate back then. During all that time, developing human biochemistry adapted to their presence in the diet and welcomed their protection. If we are healthy and eat well, we should sustain a balance between self-made plus dietary antioxidants versus reactive oxygen species and other oxidants, such as heavy metals and man-made chemical pollutants. But the balance cannot be guaranteed if we try to subsist on Fruit Loops, Big Macs, or a pint of Guinness with bar nuts, or if we become ill. I purposely mentioned stupid dietary choices ahead of illness because, as you'll recall from episode 2, Chemistry is chemistry. One's immunity will be less able to respond to challenges, and antioxidant synthesis will be weak if your protein is low and micronutrient intake has holes in it, like the fruit Loops. Those things are more poison than food. Don't ever buy them. Let me return my focus to the present danger of COVID-19. As I mentioned, reactive oxygen species, free radicals, oxidants, whichever term you prefer to use, are part of the immune response. And in the prolonged conflict between a never-before-encountered pathogen, COVID-19, and the immune system, the likelihood increases that the war will become a prolonged fight that pushes the patient into a state of oxidative stress. Oxidative stress is a nonspecific, pervasive, pathological condition characterized by an imbalance between oxidants and antioxidants, Oxidative stress brings inflammation, triggered by the increased amount of oxidants spilled by phagocytic cells and spit out from the stepped-up cellular metabolism. The increased production of reactive oxygen species during a COVID-19 infection may overpower the capacity of cellular antioxidant production. There may not be enough antioxidants to neutralize all the free radicals, so tissue damage begins to outpace the speed of the tissue repair processes. Ultimately, oxidative stress is another way COVID-19 damages the lungs, kidneys, and liver, and appears to contribute to the devastating multi-organ failure that has characterized some COVID-19 deaths every news cycle seemingly repeats key risk factors that push patients toward oxidative stress. They're the same ones blamed for many of the mortal cases. At the top of the list is age, and then comes comorbidities. There are higher rates of serious illness and death from COVID-19 infection among older people and those who have comorbidities, a word that stands for some form of chronic disease or weakness in a biological system. This means the comorbidities of age and flawed biochemistry makes such individuals more sensitive to the coronavirus. Smoking is another risk factor that sets the stage for serious COVID complications. But have you heard that men are significantly more likely than women to suffer severe effects of COVID-19 infection and die from the disease? And with the media's focus on numbers of infected, hospitalized, and deceased, and on the medical approaches to treating the disease— We have heard nothing about how diet can affect susceptibility and mortality. It is significant. Why? Because chemistry is chemistry, and nutrient intake affects cellular glutathione status. Do you know what glutathione is? Glutathione is the most abundant antioxidant in every cell. It is a tripeptide protein made up of the three amino acids cysteine, glycine, and glutamine, which is converted to glutamate before being used to make glutathione. Two enzymes in the cytosol, the squishy fluid inside each cell, do the job of building glutathione. The bottom line, glutathione is truly vital to a cell's survival. It helps control cell proliferation and cell death. It detoxifies cells' waste metabolites and foreign substances. It regenerates used vitamins C and E, and supports energy production in each of the little energy centers of the cell, the mitochondria. In the liver, it enhances the excretion of organic pollutants and mercury. More directly related to the topic at hand are two key functions of glutathione. First, glutathione's antioxidant role is crucial to protect each cell against reactive oxygen species and the damage they cause during oxidative stress. The second, glutathione is called upon in our immune response to inhibit some of the processes of viral replication. That's pretty cool. Age, comorbidities, smoking, maleness, and phantom consumption of fruits and vegetables all raise the risk of severe illness and death at the hands of COVID-19. That's frightening. Yet it may not be so frightening When we look at the underlying biochemistry, you see low glutathione offers the most plausible explanation for serious manifestations of death in COVID-19 patients. Low levels of cellular glutathione exacerbate each of the most dangerous risk factors for bad outcomes to COVID-19 infections. Advanced age is the leading risk factor for complications and death. Despite the fortunate few nonagenarians and centenarians who have survived COVID-19, it is still true that glutathione production in cells progressively declines with increasing age. That leaves cells in the elderly more likely to be low in glutathione, leaving each cell more susceptible to oxidative damage and less able to retard viral replication. On the issue of comorbidities, chronic diseases and obesity are characterized by chronic inflammation and lower levels of cellular glutathione. So the immune system and antioxidant protections are already under duress by the time COVID-19 arrives on the scene. This means that diminished levels of glutathione are almost always guaranteed in COVID-19 patients with chronic diseases that situation can be expected to trigger oxidative stress that goes on to worsen lung inflammation at the least, leading to acute respiratory distress syndrome, ventilators, crossed fingers, and possible death. Multi-organ failure also becomes a possibility. Sex-related COVID-19 mortality is another one of the common findings. Men are significantly more likely than women to suffer severe effects of COVID-19 infection and experience a higher mortality rate. You can guess why. Men have lower plasma levels of glutathione than women, making men more susceptible to oxidative stress and its attendant inflammation. A possible explanation for the sex differential may be metabolic rate. A man's metabolism runs at about twice the speed of a woman's, thereby consuming glutathione at a faster rate, keeping a man's cellular level below that of a woman's even though cellular synthesis may be efficient. Smoking is an obvious risk factor for severe complications and death from COVID-19. Cigarette smoke depletes the cellular glutathione pool in the airways, worsening oxidative damage and inflammation in the lung, which is likely the reason why smokers with COVID-19 are more likely to require intense medical interventions, including respirators. So, here we have something common to all the major risk factors that is predictive of bad outcomes to COVID-19 infections. It is glutathione deficiency. Low glutathione opens the door for massive inflammatory tissue destruction, scarring of the lungs, blood clot formation as described in episode 3, and potential organ failure. We also know that diet controls cellular glutathione levels. Remember, we need specific amino acids, vitamins, and minerals from our diets so each cell can make the large amount of glutathione it needs to stay healthy. The essential sulfur-containing amino acid cysteine is the rate-limiting component of glutathione synthesis and must be supplied by dietary protein. Excellent sources of cysteine are eggs, chicken, turkey, yogurt, cheese, sunflower seeds, and legumes. Yet, Nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, loss of sense of taste and smell are all symptoms of COVID-19 that can effectively restrict food and nutrient intake at a time when maximum nutrition is needed to fight the infection. Cysteine-rich animal proteins are usually those that first lose their appeal for COVID-19 patients. Low consumption of fresh vegetables and fruits also presents a risk factor for glutathione deficiency. They are natural sources of both glutathione and antioxidant polyphenols, vitamins, and carotenoids. Asparagus, avocados, okra, and spinach are prime sources of glutathione itself. There is a problem, though, surrounding whole glutathione in the diet. Protein-digesting enzymes can efficiently break it apart, allowing very little of it to be absorbed. However, glutathione's digestive demise or survival is still under debate. Some studies show the absorption of oral glutathione sufficient to improve serum and cellular levels of glutathione, although the improvement is not rapid, taking place over two to four weeks. The problem of delivery of glutathione by the diet is exacerbated when diets include fast food meals and snack foods. You'll be hard-pressed to find any remaining antioxidants or fully-formed glutathione in such foods of convenience. The influences of glutathione on your health and resistance to disease are indeed intricate and stretch beyond its prowess as an antioxidant. The case of vitamin D is an example. It has been proposed that vitamin D deficiency, rather than glutathione deficiency, is a primary cause of severe COVID-19 illness. Vitamin D is, after all, essential to a robust immune system. Yep, it's good for more than just your bones. Yet, on close examination we find that higher glutathione levels correlate with higher levels of active vitamin D. Likewise, lower glutathione levels, or lower levels of dietary cysteine, correlate with lower vitamin D. Hmm. Cysteine supplementation is known to correct the situation, raising not only glutathione, as expected, but also vitamin D levels. That's curious, because cysteine is most definitely not converted to vitamin D. Looking deeper, we see that if glutathione drops, oxidative stress increases. Yeah, okay, we know that, so what? Here's what. Increased oxidative stress downshifts the genes that make both vitamin D transport protein and the enzyme that converts vitamin D to its active form. So, speaking biblically, a deficiency of glutathione begets more oxidative stress that begets gene suppression, that begets reduced conversion of inactive and stored forms of vitamin D, that begets low levels of active vitamin D. A deficiency of vitamin D has a depressive effect on immunity. Bummer! Even if you are eating what should be enough vitamin D, or are hanging out in the sun every day, your immunity may not be as robust as it should, because there wasn't enough glutathione to support D's conversion to its active form. Ah, This tells us that glutathione is essential for maintaining active vitamin D and can prevent vitamin D deficiency. Fortunately, healthy levels of glutathione and active vitamin D can be restored by either cysteine supplementation or by diets rich in cysteine. So once again... Glutathione deficiency is shown to be a primary cause of serious outcomes or death in COVID-19 patients because it is needed to keep active vitamin D levels high, which in turn keep the immune response strong. To tighten this up a bit, low glutathione levels raise the risk of serious complications or death from COVID-19 in 1. The elderly, 2. Anyone with chronic health conditions, 3. Smokers, 4. 4 men 5 anyone subsisting on processed foods a state of low glutathione raises the risk because it reduces the patient's immune competence and antioxidant capabilities therefore it is evident that higher levels of glutathione may improve an individual's resistance to covid-19 and viral infections in general it is important to note that glutathione inhibits the replication of viruses at different stages of the viral life cycle It works synergistically with the zinc ionophores described in Episode 3 to reduce or slow the expansion of the viral load. A smaller viral load, of course, helps control the intensity of the subsequent immune response and inflammation. A smaller viral load also lowers the risk of megakaryocyte proliferation in soft tissue and the resultant microclots as discussed in Episode 3. A confirmation of the glutathione theory and protection against viruses and COVID-19 was demonstrated in a 1997 study where a six-month preventive administration of N-acetylcysteine at 600 milligrams two times per day significantly reduced the frequency of influenza, its severity, and length of time patients were confined to bed. Influenza is a coronavirus closely related to COVID-19. Both local and systemic symptoms were sharply and significantly reduced among the 262 test subjects, 78% of whom were age 65 or over. N-acetylcysteine was and is commonly used as a supplement source of cysteine because it is safe, inexpensive, and highly bioavailable. It has consistently and quickly elevated plasma and tissue glutathione levels in study after study. The 1997 study noted in patients with severe acute respiratory disease that a deficiency of glutathione enhanced lung cell injury by reactive oxygen species, their oxidative stress, and inflammation, and that the condition could be effectively prevented and treated by the administration of N-acetylcysteine. The study was done in Italy, and its import was not lost. N-acetylcysteine has and is being used in selective patients in Italy the U.S., Russia, and Europe. Case reports are positive. With current estimates advising us that 72 million people in the U.S. and 1.7 billion worldwide are vulnerable to severe COVID-19 infection, it makes sense to employ all methods possible to prevent infection or inhibit its progress if a person is infected. Have we found the masked man and his sidekick who can ride in to save the day? Glutathione and N-acetylcysteine? Here are some additional things you can do, along with those mentioned in Episode 3, that should offer protection against the worst manifestations of COVID-19. Let's start with go to sleep. (laughs) No, the pandemic won't be over when you wake up, but you will be rested. When you get sound sleep, your immune system prepares itself to defend you. In your diet, avoid sugar, baked goods, bread, and grains as they depress immunity in most individuals. Keep high-quality protein in your diet to assure you will be getting the proper building blocks for glutathione. Eat fresh vegetables and fruit to get their antioxidants to supplement your cellular glutathione, superoxide dismutase, catalase, glutathione reductase, and glutathione peroxidase. Those fruits and vegetables will bring micronutrients and trace minerals necessary for the functioning of the cellular antioxidant enzymes and the enzymes used in the synthesis of glutathione. Don't eat anything that comes prepackaged in a box, a bag, or a can. And if something on your dinner plate doesn't look like a whole food, albeit, you know, chopped up, wilted, or changed in color from cooking, don't eat it. And forget about alcohol. The cellular effort to detoxify alcohol and resist its oxidative attack on cell membranes works against the goal of strengthening your defenses against oxidative damage and inflammation. Handling alcohol eats up resources needed to fight COVID-19. Here's a better suggestion. Instead of drinking red wine in hopes of getting some antioxidants, take grapeseed extract capsules instead. You get the concentrated antioxidants of wine, without the oxidative stress of its alcohol. But dark chocolate and coffee can still be part of your food and beverage intake. Both are rich sources of powerful antioxidants. Now, you might not be impressed with what I just outlined. You have heard me and probably others recommend such dietary practices. I'm not nagging, just reminding. I want to make sure we are all at the same starting point. In general, the foregoing recommendations will strengthen your immune system and antioxidant capabilities. But if you are already sleeping and eating according to my recommendations and still not feeling secure against COVID-19, there are further steps you can take to increase your disease resistance. For instance, exercise will boost antioxidant production and improve immunity. Lift weights, walk, run, ride a bike, do yoga, swim. Still not impressed or feeling safe? There's more. In episode 3, I covered supplements to help fight microclots, impede viral replication, and kill viruses outright using ionophores. So far in this episode, I have described rest, exercise, and a healthy diet as part of a program to blunt the risk of complications from COVID-19 infection. Sound dietary practices will help keep glutathione levels high, but with the explosion of infection rates now reaching from 10% to 30% in major regions of the country, a daily supplement of 500 to 600 milligrams of N-acetylcysteine will add extra support to glutathione levels. If one has a chronic disease, such as diabetes or an autoimmune disease, the N-acetylcysteine dosage can go up to 1,200 milligrams per day because persons with chronic disease and obesity already have depressed glutathione levels. Using N-acetylcysteine is superior to dietary supplements of glutathione itself, for oral glutathione is largely digested. To directly strengthen your immunity, supplements of echinacea extracts, larcharabinogalactans, beta-glucans, colostrum, vitamin C, and others boost immunity. Taking some of these every day may have a prophylactic benefit. Garlic, rosemary, thyme, sage, eucalyptus, clove, cinnamon, and other botanical extracts possess significant antimicrobial power against viruses, bacteria, parasites, and fungi. Stockpiling a few of these as supplements to use at the first sign of illness is an extra safeguard. Using fresh garlic, rosemary, thyme, and sage in food preparation prepares your body with an ongoing shield against infection. Sulfated polysaccharides from gigartina algae and fucoidins from several different brown algae are directly virucidal to herpes and influenza viruses. They may be equally effective against COVID-19. 200 milligrams of fucoidin and about 1 gram of whole gigartina, or 500 milligrams of the extract, can be used both prophylactically and at the first sign of infection. It is a good idea to use digestive enzymes at each meal, too. That will help with the absorption of all the key nutrients that you will need to empower your antioxidants and support a robust, fast-acting immune system. As we age, digestive capabilities weaken, so for older patients or those with comorbidities, I will say that digestive enzymes are mandatory. The immune-boosting properties of yeast, chlorella, and spirulina should be mentioned. Not only are they incredibly nutrient-dense foods, but the beta-glucans from the cell walls of the nutritional yeast Saccharomyces cerevisiae make yeast a valuable immune-boosting food. If you opt for a tableted or encapsulated immune-support formula, use one that includes at least 30 or more milligrams of beta-glucans. A significant body of research highlights the immune-boosting aspects of spirulina and chlorella. Phycocyanin and polysaccharides in spirulina improve innate immunity—your first line of defense against a novel virus like COVID-19—spurring natural killer cell activity. Spirulina has also been shown to ameliorate the slowing and weakening of the immune response that commonly occurs as humans age. In persons over the age of 50, daily supplementation with 2 to 8 grams of spirulina improved the number and vitality of phagocytic cells. But even as data builds and we make note of COVID-19's stealthy attack on multiple organs throughout the body, the lungs remain the most critical battlefield. Doctors on the front line have passed on warnings that even those patients who seemingly recover easily from COVID-19 are left with compromised lung capacity. Tissue destruction from oxidative stress and microclots that block blood flow leaves fibroid scars. The formation of fibrous tissue in the lungs may be prevented or reversed and we hope eventually removed by a simple protocol centered on vitamin E complex. Vitamin E has at least 8 significant components. They are D-alpha-tocopherol plus the beta-gamma and delta-tocopherols and the four tocotrienols. Again, as alpha beta gamma and delta tocotrienol It may require two capsules, one for the mixed tocopherols and one for the mixed tocotrienols to deliver the full E-complex. This simple synergistic complex truly does prevent or slowly remove scar tissue elsewhere in the body, so it is reasonable to expect that vitamin E will also prevent scarring in the lungs. Even though we as yet have no immediate knowledge that it will work against COVID-19's trademark lung damage, it would be prudent to begin taking the supplement at first signs of infection and continue for about six months to a full year after full recovery. My recommended dose uses D-alpha tocopherol as its centerpiece at 200 IUs in the morning and 200 IUs in the evening taken with meals. Each dose can be matched with 45 to 50 milligrams of mixed tocotrienols, both easily found in small football-shaped soft capsules. In addition to the vitamin E complex, Fibrinolytic enzymes are valuable for preventing or removing fibroid tissue in the lungs. Arthur Andrew Medical is the first brand I turn to for fibrinolytic enzymes. Again, as in Episode 3, I recommend concomitant use of vitamin C, zinc, and some calcium to assure vascular integrity. Steps recommended here to support the antioxidant, antiviral, and anti-inflammatory effects against COVID-19 are of value elsewhere. Similar, though more subdued, oxidative stress contributes to a host of chronic diseases. Diabetes, osteoporosis, irritable bowel syndromes, lupus, rheumatoid and osteoarthritis, cardiovascular disease, asthma, cancer, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, emphysema, and chronic bronchitis are among them. Indeed, many researchers identify weakened immunity and reduced antioxidant capabilities as causative factors in the development of chronic disease. The ubiquity of inflammation and the low glutathione levels associated with chronic disorders lend support to their argument. So please, do all you can to keep your glutathione at optimal levels. Be well, and thank you for listening. Our theme music is by the Camden Jazz Trio. You can find episodes of the Healthy Geezer podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Podcast Gang, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and wherever you go to access podcasts. Episodes, as well as written transcripts, plus blogs on additional topics on health and nutrition, are also available at our website, marktimon.com. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend to tune in to the Healthy Geezer podcast, and be sure to subscribe by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast directories platform. If you have any questions, I will do my best to answer them. Just send an email to mark at marktimmon.com. That's Mark with a K and Timon with one M, all as one word, M-A-R-K-T-I-M-O-N.com. Finally, if anxiety or depression is beginning to build as the COVID 19 pandemic drags on, I recommend visiting Ellen.online, Ellen spelled simply E L I N, Ellen.online, for their natural anti anxiety formula, Serenity. Taken as directed, it can adjust brain chemistry to quell anxiety and lift depression without side effects. They also have the best spirulina on the planet.